Hello, hello. This is Dr. Jason Lee, clinical immunologist, allergist in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, this is a very special podcast like the last one. doesn't have anything to do with allergies, immunology, but I really wanted the world to know about my amazing colleague and, uh, you know, I would say pretty much a lifelong adult friend, uh, Anthony Fong. I met him in the very first day of uh, medical school at University of Toronto, and he had quite an adventure uh, in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud to have him as a friend and as a guest on my show today. So welcome, Anthony. Thanks so much, Jason. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before, you know, the question I wanted to ask you to start off is like, you know, what compelled you to go? Um, was there like a call to action or like some inspiration? You know, you know, how did this uh, occur? Yeah, so uh, my interest in global health goes way back to our med school days. Um, I um, in you know, way back in second year med school. So this was like 2002. Um, that summer, uh, I went to Cambodia to do health surveys in, in rural Cambodia. You know, it was a, basically a TB research project and uh, spent three months in Cambodia uh, doing that. And, you know, I got bitten by the travel bug and at the same time got interested in global health. And then since then, I've done projects in Colombia. Um, I did a, a third-year international health residency at UBC after family residency uh, in Kenya. Um, and then uh, I've worked in Honduras multiple times as well. So when this call came, um, it was, I basically come back from a vacation in, in Mexico and uh and then the war had broken out while I was there. And I didn't realistically think that we would deploy because the NGO, Canadian Medical Assistance Teams, which is the NGO that I've gone with in the past, they usually work in disaster zones, but those are natural disasters. And this was a conflict. But sure enough, they called me up one day and uh, asked me to deploy. And I said yes. And then everything happened from there. Well, muy bien. It's, uh, you know, that explains why you speak Spanish, too. I had uh, no idea. You know, it's um, it's really fascinating, you know, how we take so many things for granted in a developed country like Canada for, in terms of medical resources, personnel and equipment. And it really is, you know, eye opening to have that experience, you know, doing it in a, you know, a less privileged area of the world. Uh, but, you know, a war zone, is, is, you know, I imagine is quite different, right? Um, and there are, you know, even more unique challenges that you may have encountered there. Uh, I'm sure, like, in terms of equipment, resources. Um, were there any, like, you know, things out of the ordinary that you thought you wouldn't see that you saw? Well, nothing was ordinary there, uh, Jason. So... Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the minute we hit the ground, uh, we were doing uh, site assessments, trying to find a, the site of highest need. And in fact, our team of uh, you know, 15 people, two of those people had deployed a week beforehand to try and find the area of highest need. So they had an idea ahead of time what the logistics would be at those sites. But you never know, you know, things are constantly changing. So by the time we had arrived, 
our site of choice, which was called Rebene, which is a border region on the Polish side, okay. um, along the border with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a physician set up there from Quebec uh, who was our contact. And by the time we reached him, um, basically he was in this tent completely alone for two weeks uh, seeing patients. Um, well, he did have one local partner who was there sometimes. Uh, and my understanding was that he was a paramedic. But basically, it, it was this single Canadian doctor who went without any logistical support and, and showed up at the border wow. and bravely set up a, a tent. And he was requiring assistance in terms of um, like he couldn't staff it himself. Wow. Because he's just one yeah. individual. Think, yeah, of course. So we went to see him and immediately upon arriving, it was such a, it was a bit of a circus in terms of humanitarianism working, not exactly uh, as you would expect, because overnight his tent had been engulfed by another NGO's tent uh, in terms of like he went home and then the next day when he showed up to clinic, his tent was inside another tent, which was labeled by another NGO. And that NGO had labeled his tent and had basically co-opted all of his supplies um, that were uh, meant for Ukrainian refugees. Um, But this was not a medical NGO, this was a religious NGO. So it was very interesting trying to work in those environments and really, the, the bottom line is that it was kind of unworkable. We couldn't uh, deal with that situation because we found that we would have to partner with um, people that basically just got in the way uh, of doing medical humanitarianism. Okay. So people who want to do good, but you know, may, you know, may not have the skill set to be able to contribute, I suppose. Um, yeah. Exactly. So we ended up having to choose another site and we, we made other partners over the next couple of days. And we chose a site on the Ukrainian side, which we deemed was the highest need area. And that was called Krakowicz. Okay. And, and that's near the uh, north, like the, by the Polish border? Yeah, it's kind of right in the center of the Polish border. There's, okay. It's kind of Krakowicz in the middle in slightly north of there is Frebene. Um, and then slightly south of there is Medica, which is the most, it's the busiest site out of all of the sites. So we went to Krakowicz where uh, our partners said that there was highest need. And we mm-hmm. basically set up a clinic from scratch on the Ukrainian side. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, where did you originally fly into? Like, uh, did you fly into Poland or like, you know, Czech yeah. Republic or so? I don't want like, yeah. You can't fly into Ukraine, so um, we flew into Warsaw okay. and then uh, drove all the way to uh, Chezhenov or Tomashev, uh, which is a town closer to the border. It's basically within about 100 kilometers of the Polish-Ukrainian border. Gotcha. And, and, you know, what kind of people did you help? Like, what did you see? What did you treat while you were there? Yeah, so, J- Jason, there were lots of people who had... You know, as as you would expect, they had picked up all of their belongings or as many as they could fit in a backpack or a suitcase and their pets. And they fled in a hurry from their homes, um, boarding buses or private cars 
and basically going on a thousand kilometer trip to the other side of the country. So most of the unrest, as you see in the media, is in eastern Ukraine. Uh -huh, yes. And uh, it's about a thousand kilometers or slightly over a thousand kilometers, for example, from Kharkiv mm -hmm. to uh, our border site where they would line up and then cross. So you would see thousands of people crossing by foot and thousands crossing by vehicle uh, every single day uh, at Krakowicz. Interesting. Yeah. And people forget how big Ukraine actually is. Second biggest country in Europe, I think, by landmass, right? And uh, it's quite big, the, the Eastern Front and then, you know, where you are in the North. Uh, you know, the, the whole country is a bit of a war zone now, but it is a fairly large country. Exactly. So in terms of uh, medical problems, you know, uh, Ukraine is a highly developed country in terms of UN definitions of highly developed country. So uh, the health status of people before the war in general was quite good, but all, they do have, you know, chronic illnesses like any other developed country, hypertension, diabetes. They, a lot of them had been um, seeking shelter in bomb shelters for days. You know, one woman... Uh, was in a, her her basement bomb shelter for 17 days in a row. And while she was in the bomb shelter, it was quite dark and she had tripped and got a wound on her leg and needed dressing changes and some antibiotics for it because she had type 2 diabetes. Um, so we needed to do, you know, things like dressing changes, treating minor traumas and uh, replacing medications for chronic disease. Um, we didn't see a lot of acute trauma. Well, we didn't see any acute trauma, really, because all of that is happening further east. Yeah, probably the field medics and, and field hospitals there in the war zone. Exactly. And we don't have the tactical training nor, nor the appetite for, for risk yeah. that would make us set up there because, you know, uh, Canadian medical assistance teams is used to disasters, but not conflicts. Um, you see, you know, we're not like set up like, for example, Ukrainian Red Cross, who have dealt with in conflict zones for a long time or uh, MSF. Same yeah. thing. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, your skill set is, is pretty good, uh, especially where the people are coming to you, I think, uh, because yeah, you're probably right there. You know, it's quite sad when you think about it, these people, and children and, you know, elderly people just kind of you know, trying to essentially like, you know, stay alive in, in these shelters and then, you know, finally make it to way to you. And they, they probably have run out of their meds and, and whatnot. Uh, where did you get like all your medication? Did you travel with like big suitcases full of medications or how did that occur even? Or, or, or was it like brought in through the border in Poland? So pretty much close to 100% of our medications and medical supplies were um, provided were purchased by donations from uh, Canadian sources. So we, we brought them from Canada. Um, so we brought basically like 20 boxes, each about 15 to 20 pounds of essential medications, essential medications being defined as basically WHO uh, emergency medical team medications. So these are medications that the WHO deems are necessary to provide to a population uh, in terms of um, 
primary care. And so we came with our own medications, our own medical supplies. We came with six large bins of medical supplies, including um, things like dressings, gauze, stuff to sterilize wounds, um, stuff for minor trauma, slings, uh, splints, things like that. And, um, you know, the stuff we cannot travel with uh, is stuff like um, saline, narcotics, um, stuff like that has to be sourced locally, but most of the stuff came from Canada. Okay. Yeah. Very, very, uh, interesting. Yeah. I had a friend, he's an ER doctor who went to, you know, uh, Pakistan, uh, following the earthquake there. And yeah, it's, it was interesting. The logistic hurdles that he went to basically packed a suitcase full of drugs and just left, like, you know, broad spectrum antibiotics, dressings, as you said, and, and things like that as well. Uh, very cool. And, you know, we, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you really do get an appreciation for everything that we take granted here. And, you know, that your freedom is one of them, of course, and, you know, freedom, peace of mind, you know, not having to cower in a, in a basement or some shelter. Um, you know, what do you hope that people learn from your, your experience there? Well, I think... I think this is a, a lesson in terms of um, what I think, you know, what I learned personally is lessons about what makes humanitarianism great and where it can go wrong. And so in this particular case, um, you know, helping out in a conflict uh, comes with it lots of responsibility and, uh, you know, we came across in this mission and we're still encountering lots of people who are hoping to help, but we, you know, in order to provide a service, you need to know what the needs of the locals are. You can't just show up um, without particular skills that you know are needed. Mm -hmm. So I would say responsible humanitarianism for me is an ethical framework of understanding what, the people you're trying to help need and trying to provide that in a way that's well coordinated with local resources and where local resources are strained um, and asking for your support, then you provide that and you fill that gap. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is being flexible. So there were many people who show up to a disaster hoping to help in a very particular way. And in, they want to help, for example, I want to drive a car, you know, across the border from Poland to Ukraine and deliver medical supplies to a hospital in Lviv. But you have to think, well, what does this hospital in Lviv really need? Where are you going to get the medical supplies? Do you speak Ukrainian? Do you have the logistical support to do something like that, um, do you have insurance? You know, like all, all those things are just like little things that really do make a big difference when you uh, deploy to do something like that. So, you know, there's, there's, there is a right way and a wrong way to do humanitarianism and it's a discipline just like medicine. Um, so I think those are the big lessons that I wanted to get across. And when you talk about for the general public, um, I just wanted to stress that responsible donation is the best thing that 
or the most the highest impact thing that most people can do in a disaster like this. So, um, for example, donating to um, uh, organizations that have a proven efficacy and experience in working in humanitarian disasters and conflict zones in this case. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really, really good points. You know, I think uh, during the whole beginning of COVID when there was scarcity of PPE, you know, my one contribution was driving around every weekend, picking up PPE from factories and redistributing to physicians, um, you know, who were seeing patients. But, uh, you know, you took this uh, humanitarian and greater good level, you know, contribution uh, to another level. And yeah, again, you know, I'm super proud of you, uh, super proud to, uh, you, you know, have met you in medical school. And yeah, this is really, really good. And I think people will be inspired by, you know, your generosity of, you know, time and spirit in, in doing something like this. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you very much, Jason. And, and thanks for putting together this podcast. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, um, interesting and enlightening for uh, your audience to get a sample of other people's experiences and and grow as 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 learners from that. Absolutely. Thanks again.